just to say first and third years um, your life group's on just now if you want to go through do your life group just to say this morning as well if you're quite new to East Point um, this morning you would have heard um, something maybe quite different if you've never heard it before you heard someone speaking another language and then I was up the front and I gave an interpretation of that why do we do that and what is that um, in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when God's spirit fell one of the witnesses of the presence of God was people speaking in another language. And we believe as East Point, as a charismatic Pentecostal church, whatever way you want to label us, that um, those gifts of the Holy Spirit are still for today. And they still witness of the presence of the Lord Jesus. And you'll often find when a message is given like that and then the interpretation is given, it's a message where God has come alongside us to let us know that he's here, to encourage us, to build us up and to tell, give us direction within our lives. So hope you've been encouraged this morning so far. And as we come to preach God's word now, his written word, we pray that you would be inspired and encouraged too. We're going to turn to Matthew 11 this morning, and we're going to pray as we do so. Father, this morning, your word is truth, and your truth sets free. And I pray, Lord, today, even as a community of people who love you, who believe in you, who are excited about what you're doing amongst us and what you're going to do in our community, we pray, Lord, today that we would take encouragement for our souls, that you know us, you know our humanity, you know our frailty, you know, Father God, that sometimes our mouths say one thing, but our spirit feels another. Sometimes we get tired and we get weary. But we thank you that as our creator God, you know exactly where to put your hand to help us. Help us to respond appropriately to you and to do it your way so that we can truly walk the way you desire us to walk. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. So Matthew 11. And if you don't have your Bible with you, I think it's going to come up on the screen anyway. But it says this, Matthew 11, After Jesus had finished instructing the twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about these deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, I'm more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among the born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. You, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been um, subjected to violent, and violent people have been raiding it. 
for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept that he is the Elijah who was to come, whoever his ears let him hear, to what I compare this generation, they are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he has a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom has proved right by her deeds. When Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for it is miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had become performed in Sodom, it would have remained this day. But I tell you, that I will be more, it will be more bearable for Sodom on that day of the judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son to those to whom the Son chooses reveals to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Over the past 10 weeks or so, before we put out the forms for you to show an interest in different things of ministry, and I know one of those things was pastoral, I had already spoke to a group of guys and said to them, would you go and get trained up as a pastoral care worker? So there was a group of us that went over 10 weeks and I really felt like I was sticking out like a sore thumb because I'm thinking, these people in this room are going to be thinking, why a minister of 27 years are you on a pastoral care course? Have you not worked it out by now how to do pastoral care? But I have a thing and it's like this, I would never ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And do you know what I learned? I learned this that it is good no matter how long you're doing something to have a refresher course. And here's a wee hint. No matter how long you've been sharing your faith, you need to be here tonight and get a wee refresher, okay? And it is good sometimes to go and re-look at things and to think about them and to seek God and to get ourselves built up. But the lady who led the course was a lady called Jean Piller. And she was great real good crack and her friend Lisa as well helped in that course and over those 10 weeks it was great it was really really encouraging but on our last night together she read on Tuesday night past she read the last couple of verses of Matthew 28 to 30 but she read them from the message version and all week I just could not get them out of my head and that's why I want to bring them to you this morning. I want to read it from the message version this morning. I think this is lovely. I never picked it up before, but I want you to hear what the message version, how it puts it across. It says this. 
Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that amazing how that's put across? So, so good. And you know, when you look at the context of this whole chapter, and that's why we read the reading, and God always blesses the reading of his most holy word, but the reason why I read it all was I wanted to get the background to where Jesus is saying these words. First of all, he has his cousin send some people to him to find out if he really is a Messiah. I wonder how hurtful that must have been for the Lord that his very own cousin wasn't sure. He was under scrutiny by his very own cousin. Are you really the Messiah? And of course, we know the answer was sent back. Tell him about the healings. Tell him about the deliverance. Tell him about how the lives of the poor is changing. And then he starts to talk about John, the beloved himself, or John, the the baptizer. And he starts to say about how, you know, when he went into the the, the wilderness, how people criticized him and came against him, again under scrutiny. And Jesus knew that it wouldn't only be his cousin John that would be under scrutiny, but in his life, the Lord Jesus was under scrutiny from people, even though he was trying to help them, to love them, to support them, bring them into his kingdom, yet Jesus was brought under that scrutiny. Verse 17 and 19. You know, there's these verses here that talk about, you know, the, the children of the day. We played a pipe for you, and we did not dance. We sang a, a dirge, and they did not mourn. You know, John came not eating and drinking. He came fasting and Jesus came and he ate and he he drank some wine and he spent time with the tax collectors and both of them were criticized and basically what he was saying was this, no matter what way we're going to come, there's always going to be somebody out there that will never please. And isn't it true of life? You're never going to please everybody. And here Jesus was bringing this message and saying all of these things, and saying to all of these people that he was under scrutiny, the people were doubting, and even those that he brought such miracles to, to these cities where there was lots of healing, and there was lots of miracles done, and yet the very people that he brought the healings to, and the blessings to, their hearts didn't turn to him. Their hearts didn't respond to his love and to his grace. And he says, woe to you. It was better for the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, than it will be for you because I have brought my grace. I brought my love. I have shown you that I am who I am. And still you're rejecting me. Stephen up the front here. Go to embarrass you, Stephen. Stand up. <laughs> this is our Stephen. He says to me, don't you be embarrassing me, but I am embarrassing him. Because he always, he always picks on me. Um, but go on ahead, you're right, thank you. Um, but you know, Stephen, hopefully someday will share his own story with you. But Stephen's journey's a wee bit like this. You see, 
Stephen, when he was a wee boy, was in hospital, I hope I'll get this right, with HSP, and it's an inflammation of blood vessel which was giving him abdominal pain. And for six weeks he lay in the hospital and there was no improvement. And then his mum's pastor came and prayed over him. And overnight God instantaneously healed him. Now, Stephen has been very honest about this, and he's broke his heart over it from times. Stephen said, but yet, even though God did that in him, and although he went to church, but he never really was a Christ follower until this year, he really fully committed his heart to the Lord Jesus and walked with the Lord Jesus to this year. Why is that? Why is it sometimes when God shows us such grace, such love, such pardon, so much goodness that still we find ourselves not truly trusting and not following him as our Lord and Savior? And maybe you're here today, I'm not sure. You know out there, there is a God, you know, he's done good things. Maybe you've heard stories like Stephen's stories. You've heard other Christian people talk about what God has done in their lives. And yet somewhere deep inside, as much as you would love to commit, there's still this doubt in you. There's still this doubt that Jesus is who he is. Maybe you even doubt the very existence of God. You look at other people and you see them following Jesus and loving Jesus and you think to yourself, I would like to be that way, but something holds you back because you think to yourself, I can't, I'll muck that up or I won't be able to hold up to the precepts or the teachings of that church, so I'm better not doing it. Maybe you look at other Christians and Christianity and you see that their lives aren't that perfect. And because a Christian said something that did something, you've judged Christ by their standard and you think, well, if that's what Christianity is, not sure I want anything to do with that. Please, please, please don't judge our Savior by us because each and every one of us today should have a big L plate on the back if we're being really honest. Because although Jesus came into our hearts and our lives and he gave us a launch pad to start a fresh work with him, we're still only in training. We're not perfect yet. And Jesus said he wouldn't really make us perfect until that day he comes and gets us and brings us home. Then we will be totally, and the word for it is redeemed, bought back. And that's only going to, real perfection's only going to happen when we see the Lord Jesus face to face. And there is, yes, for every believer, there is that onus in us to walk very close with Jesus and try to be like him the best we can. And why I like this rendering of the scripture in the message is there are those who are still searching and still wanting to seek him but what's happened is already before they get to that place of salvation i think these words that are there are very apt it says are you tired of religion are you tired of religion because there's things you just can't quite work out in your heart and your mind and, and yet there's still something that keeps bringing you to church. There's some stuff that keeps working in your spirit that you really would, if you could, would like to step in to salvation. But this is where the issue is. 
So many people, before they come to true faith, they come seeking religion. But it's not religion. It's relationship. It's relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Father and by the blessing of the Holy Spirit who works in our lives today. And especially in us men, we're all fixers, aren't we? And all the ducks have to be in the row. And we like to be the one that has everything in control. And when it comes sometimes to faith, and we look at it, we look, okay, well, I would need to be this way, and I would be that way, and that way before God would ever want to accept me. But that's religion. Jesus never asked us to take up a new religion. He told us to step into relationship. His words to us was quite simply this. He says, come to me. Come to me and be in relationship with me. It's not a formula that we have to follow every day. That's called legalism. But it's a closeness of heart. It's relation with him. And I love this line, learn the unforced rhythm of grace. What he's saying is, come and walk with me. Learn to walk in a rhythm with me where you're going to find the favor of God. Ah, but pastor, how do I know God would favor me? Do you know how you know God would favor you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only one son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. You know, our brother Darren shared earlier on about trying to get the wee children to learn the wee verses of Scripture, and I can still remember this day, dear old Arnold Morrow, one of our elders, and when he shared that verse with us of Scripture, he got us to take out the whosoever and put our names in. God so loved the world that Stephen Neal would have everlasting life. And that coming to walk with him and that rhythm of grace, that rhythm of favor. You see, God, through his Son and his Holy Spirit, wants to do life with us. He wants to walk with us every single day and talk with us and share his life with us. And he wants to get us to get in that rhythm of life. His rhythm of life that we would find amazing favor of an amazing God on people just like us. And that's what we have been invited into. And he says this, I don't want to leave, lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Do I have that wee photograph? And in the, in the NIV version, you'll say, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. And we'll maybe get this up here. For you young ones, you're probably thinking, what's a yoke? And you're probably thinking an egg. Because we don't see most of these these days, sure we don't. But that's a yoke. It's a piece of wood that went over cattle, and then they carried something like a plow or a cart. But you see here, actually, that's unequally yoked. Now, you've heard that in the Bible as well. Don't be unequally yoked, haven't you? Some of you have, yeah. Okay, unequally yoked. And it means this. Really, when you were being yoked together, it needed to be two cattle of the same size. If not, the weaker one got all the pressure put upon them. Or sorry, the bigger one actually took all the pressure. But you're being yoked together. And the Lord says, as I walk with you, 
as you take my yoke upon you, I'm not going to lay it so heavy upon you. Because do you know why? He's the bigger one and he can carry it. He's the bigger one and he will walk with you. So if you're hearing God say to your spirit, come with me. Walk in the rhythm of grace. Don't feel, I can't do this. I couldn't be a Christian. I couldn't be a follower of Jesus because I'm going to get this wrong. Truth is, you will get it wrong. You will mess up. We've all messed up in our faith. But yet Jesus comes alongside us and he's the bigger one. And he holds us up. And he gets us to learn to walk in that rhythm of grace where he loves us and he cares for us and he shows us how to walk freely. To walk without the fear of the past. To walk knowing that everything that was done in the past that we were ashamed of, things that we don't like about ourselves, that we are living in a relationship with one who first created us and is willing to recreate us to become who he wants us to be. And on that journey from now to heaven, yes, there's a lot of work to be done. But he said, his walk with me and I'll show you how to walk. You see, becoming a Christian isn't just as in our circles of doing it. When we ask people to come to faith, often we'll say, look, can you raise a hand in a meeting or stand? Let us know that you want to commit your life to Jesus. We pray with people. But that's a decision. But being a full believer of the Lord Jesus Christ means that we go from decision to discipleship, that we actually walk with him. And we learn to walk in that rhythm of grace that he takes our burdens, he takes our worries, he takes our failures, he takes all that's wrong with us in our world and we're allowed to walk and talk with him and give those to him. And then he brings his peace and his grace and helps us to walk this life. And if you're here this morning and that's you and you would so like to walk with Jesus, I would encourage you today wherever you would be. Don't go away today without talking to myself or somebody else about truly walking with Jesus and finding him as the one who will carry you in your life. But I want to take a couple of minutes this morning and time's already nearly gone. And I want to talk to you believers today who are in committed relationship with Jesus Christ, who already are walking and talk with him. And I know the scripture was written for those who were not yet to come to Jesus. But as a believer, do you feel a wee bit worn out? Do you ever feel weary as a believer? Do you ever feel, Lord, here's your word, and your word is saying, you know, give me your burdens and you'll be okay? Well, how come then, Lord, sometimes I still feel weary? How come, Lord, I feel sometimes worn out? Is he not true to his word then? You know, if you're sold out for the Lord Jesus, if you're in a committed relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're his disciple and you're following him, you're trying to go and share the gospel, you're trying to be devoted as all saints should be, as Acts 2 tells us, to, devoted to the word, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, devoted to outreach, all of those things. 
If you take on any sort of leadership of a small group, if you take leadership of a service within church, if you take any sort of leadership in any way for the Lord Jesus, you will find at times, like Christ, you will be scrutinized. People will doubt your motives. People will say things that, you know, because they never got a need met and they're not pleased and like we talked about, you know, like Jesus said, you know, he came not eating, I came eating and we still get criticized because you can't please everybody all the time. One of the things in the pastoral care course, which was quite funny, and we, we had to do a book review. They made us work. We had to do a book review, and we had also to do a pastoral counseling um, situation where we had to talk about what we would have done and used the, the, all the things that we were taught on the course. And I went and found a book that I bought in 1991 when I just came into ministry called The Effective Pastor. So I had to do this book review about pastoral care. So I read it, and I hadn't read it for years from 1991, and I thought, the guy that wrote this is really a prophet. Because within the book that I read, in a chapter about like visitation, church visitation and all of that, there was this one line, and it really made me laugh, because in other churches, this has happened to me. There's always that one person who thinks the pastor's telepathic. They go into hospital... And if anybody asks, why did you not tell the pastor you're in hospital? Didn't want to bother him. But then the same person still expects the pastor to see them within two days of them going into hospital. You can never get it right. And you can't please people all the time. That's one of those things that we know about ministry. We know, and pastors have said that for some pastors, you know, they're only as popular as their last sermon or their last decision. And when you go to do some stuff for the Lord, sometimes you will have burdens. Sometimes you'll face opposition. Sometimes you will find difficulty. But is the Lord not true to his word? Or is it that we're not doing the word the right way? Do you hear what I'm saying? Is it that God's not true to his word because he says that he will take our burdens and he will make them light or is it that we're not doing the word right? There's no doubt God's work needs done. So when you read that passage, don't be thinking to yourself, oh, I'm going to take a spiritual holiday from everything in church. Because if we do all do that, church is going to collapse. We still need to serve, we need to be committed, and we need to be in there. So how do we balance the pressure? Sometimes of scrutiny, sometimes of physical tiredness. How do we balance all of that? in our lives. The key is this. Are you getting away with him? Read that again from that scripture. And let it sink in. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the on-force rhythm of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and learn to live freely and lightly. You see, because sometimes what we do in church is this. 
We run into stuff and we do stuff and we think, right, we're going to do this for God, we're going to do that for God, and we decide what we're going to do for God, and then we say to God, and Lord, we hope you're going to bless it. But was it what God really asked us to do? He says, come and watch me. Watch me how I'm doing that. And how we need to come and seek him first and ask him how we do ministry. He says, learn the on-force rhythms of grace and favor. You see, there is still something in us, and I think it's called Celtic guilt. See us Irish folk? There is something within us. It's called Celtic guilt. We all think because of the way we were brought up, we were so naughty and so bad that everything's our fault. And even when we come to Jesus and we get that all clear, I've died for you, I've cleansed you of your sin, there's still something within Celtic guilt makes us want to still put it right for him. There's no way God could just love me for me. So therefore, I have to work really, really hard to bring blessing. If God's going to accept me, I have to be so passionate and do this, that, and that for God really to love me. I'm going to have to watch my P's and Q's and all of those things, or it's nearly like payback time. We need to pay back to God. And really what we're saying then is this church, that his sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough. That we need to give him a wee hand. And for us too, he just wants to remind us today of this. Just come to me. Just come as you are. With all your flaws, with all your feelings, and just be you. And let me work in you and reprove you and to show you how to do this walk with me. You know, Jesus had great wisdom in the midst of his ministry. And when he was tired and his men were tired, do you remember he went out on the boat where nobody could get at them? But he just wanted him and his boys to be there together that he could minister to them and they could rest. And church, sometimes we just need to rest in the fact with these rhythms of grace. Not working for God to get approval, but resting in God because he's already died to save us. Resting in God because there's nothing more that we can do within ourselves for him to love us any more than he already loves us. So in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our work for God, it's going into that secret place in our own hearts and our own minds, drawing aside to God and learning to live at his rhythm, his pace, for his honor and for his glory. And he's just saying, come, come, walk with me. Do you remember the two boys on the road to Emmaus? One of my favorite stories in the Bible. There they were, the very crux of something that was great in my Jesus had risen from the grave. He had appeared to some of the disciples. I don't know what those lads were thinking, but they cleared off back home seven miles to Emmaus. They were walking in the opposite direction of all the excitement. 
And you just presume they were going back home, they thought, okay, I know he appeared to these people, but he never appeared to us. Obviously, he doesn't want us, and we're just going to go back home and get on with life. And I love the authorized version of the Bible that says this, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send one of the disciples. He never sent one of the women. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And as he started to talk to them, and he was acting like he didn't know what was going on, he did all the time. These guys, and are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been happening? And he starts to open up the word, and they say, did our hearts not burn within us? And then you know the story, comes the communion, the breaking of bread in the evening, and once he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened that this is Jesus among them. Church, whatever's going on in your life today, whatever's causing you to feel an inner weariness and an inner tiredness, how are you trying to sort that out? Oh, well, Pastor, I'm going to book a fortnight in the Maldives. Well, if you are, can you take me with you? (laughs) Friends, spiritual rest is not found in where we go, but it's found in who we're with. And sometimes that lack of spiritual peace and weariness and tiredness is because we're not spending enough time walking with the one who called us to himself. Sometimes we think if we just, you know, run away and get a wee corner somewhere and just chill out and watch some TV and, you know, peg out on the city or whatever you like to do, that sometimes that's the answer. And sometimes we do need that physical rest. But to maintain spiritual well-being, we need to keep walking in his rhythms of grace, inviting him into our pain inviting him into our frustration, inviting him into where we're at and asking him to show us how to walk, believing that he's not going to put anything on us that we cannot carry because he's right beside us. Scripture says this morning, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Church time is really gone, but I'm going to ask the worship team to jump up. And they're going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing, Come to the Altar. And I want to encourage you this morning in this way. And it may be we're all grand and we're all feeling good, but maybe there is a weariness. Maybe there's some stuff going on. Maybe sickness is making us tired and weary. Maybe stuff going on in our life is making us tired and weary. Maybe we're weary because we're tired of religion rather than relationship. And we need to find our way to the Father. As we sing this song this morning, we're going to stand, we're going to sing it. And if there's anybody this morning and you find yourself in that place of weariness and you would like someone to stand with you and to pray with you, we'd love to anoint you with oil this morning and pray God's blessing over your life. So as we sing this song and then we're going to have coffee and tea and donuts afterwards, as we come and sing this song, if you need prayer this morning, 